Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturgis. This morning, as we come to the Word of God, we're doing Trustology Part 3. You should have a handout that says that. And basically the premise is this, how to trust and when. Now how we got here was off the back of a series once again on forgiveness. The forgiveness series was entitled, When God's Opinion is Not Enough. The closing teaching on that sort of laid out a program of how we deal. Watch, forgiveness is how I deal with the past. Reconciliation is the present, and trust is the future. Let me re-diagram that for you. Forgiveness is how I deal with the past events. Trust is how I deal with the future. Reconciliation is where forgiveness and trust meet. Reconciliation is where forgiveness and trust meet. Now, I can support that statement in the biggest of theological terms in terms of our own forgiveness and our salvation. <clears throat> but certainly, reconciliation then is the, is the ground where forgiveness meets trust. And the reason we're looking at this is because during the holidays, um, we have those occasions uh, to, to meet or be around people uh, that at some point in our past, just awkward intersections um, of blended families and your family, my family, their family, uh, meeting, intersecting, having to communicate, and how on earth do we mediate that? And this, this series has really become a good, a good thing for that. Now you'll see reviewed there the first four. Today we're going to look at five and six, but very quickly moving through this passage, Paul talks about how he found himself as trustworthy. And he found himself as trustworthy, uh, and he was thankful. And so the first thing we learn is that trustworthy people, the pr- people I can trust, are genuinely thankful for the opportunity to be trusted. That's an important thing to note. And watch how these, the sequence of these move forward. The second one was, he said, even though I was a blasphemer, a violent aggressor, and a murderer, he would say in another place, uh, go on to say. So the second thing is, they get the depth of the transgression. They get it. That's the second thing. Not only are they thankful for the opportunity to be trusted, but they understand the real depth of the violation. You know? So beware, beware, if, if, number one, if people are not thankful, in other words, if they think they're entitled to it, beware if they don't get the scope and the depth of what it is they've done, and they sort of blow it off. Can you forgive them? Yes. Can you trust them? No. Let's keep going. And last week, we looked at the next two, introdu- uh, the extra introduction of two other terms, mercy and grace. Mercy is the um, force of God refusing to join us in any opinion of me above his opinion of me. And that's a powerful statement. That's a really powerful statement to read again and again and again for the 75 times or so that this word shows up in the New Testament. Please hear that because it's that that we stand on. It's that, that is where we stand. God continually holds out a much higher opinion of who we are and what we will be um, than, than we have of ourselves or than others have of us. Always, always, always above and beyond. And then grace. Grace is the force of God that pushes back against sin, according to Romans 5, and th- that would squeeze the life out of us. And very simply put, where we landed is grace, watch, grace is that force that creates a space of truth. That's important. Um, as we enter the new year, we'll be doing 21 days of prayer Again, we won't be doing it here at the building. 
Uh, I'm going to be doing it instead on Facebook Live from my home in front of the fireplace, and I'm going to invite certain people, uh, just different people to come in and share in that. But through the 21 days, the Gospel of John has 21 chapters, and I'm going to be presenting a devotional because um, John chapter 1 verse 14 says, We beheld Jesus Christ the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's my belief that grace creates a place where we can encounter truth. Truth means simply unhiddenness. And we're going to go through every chapter of John one day and take a devotional away and say, here's grace and truth in chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6. I love the gospel of John. It's going to be a lot of fun. And that will be our 21 days of prayer. And we're going to be looking for grace and truth in 2019. How many here would say... So the word means so be it, but say amen to where I want 2019 to be a place of grace and truth for me. Amen. Amen. A place where grace pushes back and there's a new place for me to stand and explore the potential of who I am in Christ Jesus. Now today we're going to be looking at the last two. And the last two you have on your outline, on your handout is numbers five and six are the words worthy and patience. Number five, trustworthy people comprehend no one deserves trust except Jesus Christ. And then number six, truly trustworthy people are patient. They understand that patience paved the way to where they are, and they will give it back in return. Now, we're going to unpack those pretty quickly. But I have to say something. Every week when I walk out here, the, the Word of God is never presented in some static presentation. Whenever any one of us read the Word of God, we're reading it through the lens of our current experiences to some degree or another. And we land squarely once again on mercy today in this closing verse. And this afternoon, I will have the honor of, of speaking at a homegoing service for a, a family member, uh, uh, the family that attends this church. And... Um, it was a, it was for, it, it, this is a person who struggled with life, faith, God, uh, just the turmoil, but that had clearly accepted Christ as Savior. And, and I want to, I need to say this because I don't have the occasion to say it that often, but I want to tell you something, that the power of the cross of Christ, the song we were just singing, the name of Jesus, is the necessary power to us, for us to live this life as an overcomer, and for behavior to be altered. In other words, it helps us, fixes us, gives us the power to be able to go forward and to overcome those things that would stand against us. Say amen right there. The danger is we flip that coin and we say, if you are not living a certain list of behavior, by my definition, or whosever definition, then you are not that. Beloved, can I tell you something? We need to get this. Because I don't know where the line is. But the power of the cross is sufficient to alter any behavior in the world. However, our ability to sustain a particular behavior is, will never be a testament of the finality of the blood of Jesus Christ. The point at which I may fail or you may fail does not say, well, then you must not really be saved. 
My salvation, I mentioned this last week when I read something online in the aftermath of the election, that if you vote for a particular party, there's no way you can be a Christian. Let me tell you, I didn't accept Christ on the basis of confessing a particular political party. I became born again on the basis of confessing my sin and the blood of Jesus Christ as being sufficient. So do I rise up in arms against those? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I want to tell you, that your or my ability, matter of fact, there will never be anyone. You may have a person picked and say, that person, they're spiritual. They, that, that is the person. That's the behavior I want to emulate. Did you know that's okay? The New Testament says, find models and follow after them. Paul would say, as I follow Christ and others follow me. And uh, Go ahead and do that. So that's okay. But there will never be one person you will ever find that said they have perfectly emulated the full power of the cross of Jesus Christ. It's why I say when reading 1 Corinthians chapter 11 about the table of the Lord and communion that we share in here, you know, when we have the little juice and crackers and we remember the blood of the body and the blood and of Jesus Christ and his death. And he says, for those of you that partake in an unworthy manner, we have abused that scripture Because what does worthy look like? Just answer that. Try and answer that. What makes you worthy to come to the table of the Lord or the cross of Christ for anything? It is not your ability to sustain a particular behavior in the last 48 hours. And again, the tension is, I believe the power of cross and the power of the Holy Spirit can strengthen me alter behavior, fix brokenness, break addictions, uh, shatter uh, chains of every bad attitude from racism to unforgiveness. I believe that and I've seen it happen. However, on the other side, because a person may not be able to sustain that behavior or access that power of the cross dynamically in my life, it does not speak of the limits of the power of the cross. It speaks of the limits of our humanity. That's what it speaks of. Yesterday, I had words said to me that just absolutely squeezed my heart in half as parents of an adult child looked across the table who had been here for 10 years and they said thank you for letting New Hope be a place where we can bring anybody okay So that messed me up all day and all night. And by the way, I I took a shot at my wife yesterday who has told me to not to quit saying, because every Sunday I come out saying, my heart is so full. So here, I got something new for you. Today I come to you with an empty heart. (laughs) Entirely debaucherous, a transgressed sinner, and have nothing to say to you. Some of you would actually say, praise God, we can get the Cracker Barrel on time. You know, so for all of you, I want you to know, even though that exhibited attitude is far beneath the power and substance of the cross, never mind, you saw where I was going with that. That was really great opportunity. Okay, I want us to look at the last two things here today. So who do we trust? The verse, uh, it says, it's a tru- verse 15 says, it is a trustworthy statement deserving. Everybody say deserving. Full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Paul comes back to mercy again. But I want you to see the word, everybody say the word deserving. Now, and, and here's, I'm going to say something that's going to catch you off guard and, and may bug you a little bit. Um, 
that when it comes to trust, only God, Jesus, God deserves it. Everybody else earns it. And he said, well, I don't know if that's really Christian. It is absolutely Christian. And I talked about that in the previous weeks, that that's the, God doesn't forgive me on the basis of my behavior, but he does trust me on the basis of it. That is, he does entrust to me greater grace. And I talked about what that was all about last week in mercy and grace. God will not make your life bigger if making it bigger means that he's empowering your destruction. And we should not do it either. Okay? So that's an important point. Trustworthy people comprehend no one deserves trust except Jesus Christ. Now, that word deserving is the word axios. We talk about it a lot. One of the most conspicuous places it shows up that I mention is in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. And it's the elders around the throne. By the way, I believe that Revelation 4 and 5 is the most magnificent picture of worship in all the Bible. So go and read those chapters. It's a beautiful picture. And around the throne are these seraphim, these horrific creatures. And just out from them are elders and elders who are giving thanks to God. And Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, O Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and are created. Everyone look here. If you've been in church more than a year at some point, you're going to hear a worship leader step up and say, come on, worship him. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. As if the word means to owe it to him. And therefore, that solicitation means that you're not exhibiting something that the worship leader thinks is a declaration of God's worth. So what happens? Do we have some written or unwritten thing that when he's worthy, we will all act like we're Uh, Let's see, with the strength and effervescence of a 15-year-old jumping up and down, screaming, I don't know, but come on, he's worthy, he's worthy. And finally we reach something. What I've always wanted to do is jump up in those moments when they're finally done and say, okay, have we maxed out God's worth? In other words, everybody get what I'm saying? See, inquiring minds want to know this stuff. If he's worthy and you need to be doing something more, what is more? And when do we get there? Do we say, okay, God, I finally got there. I gave you everything you're worth. (laughs) I think not. How do you pay for the cross? So it's a bad equation. See, the word worthy means scale. And the scale was used to measure monetary or economic value, but that's not where it is. It means scale. So when the elders say... Matt, you'd have to read the verse before and then this verse. He says, you're worthy to receive everything that human essence is made of. Glory, honor, and power. Those three words wrap it up. He says, for you made it all. You made it. Matter of fact, not long ago, I I pointed out something in Revelation 4 and 5. That in verse 9 of chapter 5, listen, they say it again. You're worthy because you redeemed men from every tribe and nation. Please get this. Everyone look at the preacher this morning. You got to get this. The first time that he's declared you're worthy, he said, you created it and you know what it's worth. How many know that God made everything in the world, gave it to us, gave it to mankind in the Garden of Eden, then they trashed it? They just gave it up. The book of Isaiah, excuse, uh, yes, Isaiah, he uses that same ideology when talking about the nation of Israel. He said, listen, you guys sold yourself into slavery and nobody paid me to get you back. That's loaded with stuff, guys. God says, here, I gave you this, I created it, I know what it's worth, and I gave you worship, and you threw it away in the garden. See, but Revelation 5, 9 says, but not only are you worthy because you made it and you know what it's worth, and if you weigh it, you can tell me what it weighs and what it's worth. That's what the word means. 
Watch this. But you're worthy because after you created it and gave it to us, we trashed it and you came and bought it back with your blood. Woo! I don't know about you, but that changes my whole worship posture whenever I'm singing, praying, whatever. Lord, you're worthy because you know what it, not only know what it's worth, but you're worthy. You gave it to us. We trashed it and you bought it back with your blood and you've given it to me again. My, that's a good place just to say thank you, Jesus. One, two, three, go. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Woo. Okay, enough about that. Okay, so here, here was the sort of sidebar this morning that, I, that, again, life's context. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, and I've never thought of it in, these, in this context, and, and I'm going to pluck it out, if you will, and having taught on this several times through the years, but so we're gonna, this is Jesus speaking, and watch what he says. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. Now, when you read the word heavy, what does that word indicate? Wait, wait, okay? Now, if Jesus is the scale on which everything is weighed and the substance of something is determined, this just gripped my heart this morning. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, what you learn, if you had read, read the verse before in Revelation 4, is the elders cast their crowns. Their crowns was their representation of worth and status in the heavenlies. And it says they come casting their crowns, saying, essentially, Lord, this is the symbol of our worth our glory, our honor, and our power. I'm just throwing it right back over there. You made it, you weigh it, and you can hand it back to us if anything's worth keeping. Here's the good news, beloved. As we walk through life, there are things that weigh us down, and you want to know one of the ways that God, everyone look at me, makes our burden light is because when we bring those heavy things and we ask God to weigh it, if you'll trust him, 90% of the time, he won't give them back to you. Here's what I mean. Lord, is this burden of brokenness and hurt and pain and unforgiveness or what? Is it worth carrying? Here, I'm going to lay it and you weigh it. And God weighs it and says, nope, it's not. I'll keep that. How do you else do you think your burden gets light? He says, I can make your burden light. Look at all of these weigh verses. It just got me in Hebrews 12 where it says, lay aside the weight of every sin that so easily besets you. Why wouldn't you do that? God says, bring it to me. Let me weigh it. And what I'll tell you is it's not worth carrying. I'm going to keep it over here. I'll make your burden light because half the crud you're carrying, you don't need to be carrying. He lifts the burden and takes it away. All right, now, let me say two things too. Occasionally, but not always, I'm, I'm back on this. People who leverage you to trust them will use your faith against you. If you are really a Christian, then such and such, Okay. They'll put that weight on you. Please hear the whisper of the serpent, both in the Garden of Eden and in the wilderness in the days of temptation. That's what, that's the hiss and the whisper. That if you're really a Christian, I'm getting somewhere with this. And and number two, occasionally but not always, we desire the affirmation of people that we misplace trust in. We want their affirmation. And so we'll trust them. Why? Because they inform our worth more than God does. See, what happens when you begin to be a worshiper whose worth, worth shape, worthship, remember the thousand times we've studied it, whose worth is shaped by God, more and more I look for my worth to be informed by him, 
not by anybody else. And if my worth is informed by him, it begins to close off those other voices and I become functionally and behaviorally the healthy person that God designed humanity to walk in. I'm just going to stop there because I want to get to the last one that so gripped my heart this morning. Now, but here's the principle. If the person pokes at your worth, beware. Remember that? Only God is worthy. Only God is deserving. So if this person pokes at your worth to get you to trust them, beware. I want to say it again. If they poke at your worth and poke at your faith to get you to trust them, beware. That will happen. Okay? The last principle in this series, next week I'm going to flip something around I'm very excited about to wrap it up. But verse 16 is patience. Trustworthy people, truly trustworthy people are patient. And I want you to notice the sequence. I think there's something to be said here. Watch this. First and foremost, the first thing you look for is are they thankful to be trusted? Okay? Number two, they understand the depth of the violation. Number three, they know that they're standing on the force of God's opinion above their behavior. Number four... They understand that this is a moment of grace that God is extending the boundaries of their life as you begin to trust them. Number five, only God is worthy. By the way, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, not to be confused with 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have entrusted to him. Listen to me. Persuaded by who? Persuaded by Jesus Christ. His death on the cross is the final statement. In studying worship with leaders, I, I, I'll pose a question to them that bugs them primarily in pastoral leaders when we're talking about Philippians chapter 2. I'll ask this question that messes with our theology, and it's this. Um, did Jesus gain anything by coming to earth and dying on the cross? Because here's the principle. If the person asking you to worship them benefits from that worship in some measure, we need to be suspicious as to why they're requesting it of us. See, that puts God in a single place. He says, come and worship me. Why? He is holy. He doesn't gain a thing from our worship. We do. Now, none of us are God, but the principle still stands. The degree to which a person is saying, I want you to trust me, Because I personally benefit, in other words, you get where I'm going with this? Watch that. Beware, beware, beware. All right, now, um, uh, verse 16, patience, uh, that verse says, let me reread it. For this, for this reason, everybody say for this reason. For this reason I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe, that word means trust, who would trust in him for eternal life. Now, they understand, uh, they, they, trustworthy people understand at the end of it all that it is your patience that paved the way for them to be there. Now, let me talk to you about what this word means. The word, the, the word patience here, uh, let me see if I cut and paste it. I was writing my, some notes to myself and I might not have done that. Um, Hang on. There it is. Yep. Word patience here is the quality of a person who is able to avenge himself but refrains from doing so. It's the quality of a person who is able to avenge himself but refrains himself from doing so. 
Now, let me show you a, a place, that, another place that that word, I begin to read the 15 or 16 places this, this word shows up in the New Testament. I always love doing that. I love looking through one little lens and then seeing. Listen to James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Therefore, be patient. Same word. It's going to be used here twice. Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Now, I, I thought, of course, of the image, it's here that we're going to wrap up, we're done, this is it, watch. The image of a seed in the ground. None of you, I, I had a garden for five years and then I finally surrendered the effort due to the fact that the deer and the raccoons just absolutely won. And, um, I mean, I would watch the corn. Joe, they knew the day it was ripe. I've said, I'm going to wait. This is, I'm not making this up. I said, tomorrow I'm going to go get that corn. It's ripe. That night, every raccoon, every member of the raccoon family from Kodak came to my place. And they just eat the ends off of it. You know, that's the thing as I went out there talking to myself. If you'd eaten the whole thing, you wouldn't have eaten the other 15. One would have been enough. Could you just not have finished that one and left me some? They eat the ends off of every one of them. I went to counseling. I received raccoon therapy, which did not deliver me From the joy that still resides in my heart at the thought of a shotgun killing the whole raccoon family in one fell swoop. But it would have been foolish for me to have planted those seeds and go out there every day and stare at the ground. I mean, we know that. We get that, you know. Uh, we, we just don't have those expectations. And what I'd never seen was the thought of this, how it intersects on seeds of mercy. Everybody say seeds of mercy. And here's the thing that just lit me up today uh, as I come to this. You know, what I am doing here, let me reread this verse to you. It says, I'm thankful. Hang on a second. It said, for this reason I have found mercy so that in me as the foremost, Jesus might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example. And here's how we exercise a posture toward these people. When they leverage back and say, you need to trust me at this level or at that level or at this level or at that level. And again, it ranges everything from divorced spouses to children we trust with the keys to the car to uh, teenagers we're raising to uh, uh, addicted people we're in relationship with. This principle applies. Don't be leveraged by them. Let them be amazed at the fact that you're saying, you know, I believe there's a seed of mercy sown in you. It hasn't come to the surface yet. Because the Bible speaks of some of the evidences. And it's not there yet. But I'm patient. And I'm waiting. And it's going to break through the surface of that soil. And we're going to see them. But if you think before that happens, I'm going to trust you one inch. (laughs) You are entirely delusional. God bless you. You see, we don't want to say that. Because that person wants to leverage us through love and relationship. Well, if, if you really trusted me, oh, no, 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 let me help you. Let me help you. 
The problem right now is you think trust is an entitlement. The Bible says the first thing I should be looking for is if you're thankful that I would even consider it. Thankful. That, that you think trust is an entitlement and you have blown off Never once have you really owned the depth of the violation. Now, I realize that it may be too heavy for you and you just don't want to speak. But see, I got to help you get that seed through the surface of the soil. Because it won't be until you confess what God already knows and you agree with God concerning you that that seed's going to begin to germinate and will begin to sprout and come to maturity. So you need to step up there. And, and what else you need to realize is that seed of God's opinion planted in your soul, praise God, he won't ever change his opinion, but you get to have influence on whether or not that seed will ever germinate and begin to break through the surface of the soil of your life. Jesus would have something to say about that in Mark chapter 4, as a matter of fact. You see, there's really a progress here. And as we enter the holidays and we're, we're forced to intersect with these people, can I remind you to focus on that seed of mercy and maintain that hope? See, because we're those weird people that say, oh, bless God, I believe that when God created you, the Father put his image on you, the Son has come to redeem it, and the Holy Spirit has come to empower it. But right now, as we're standing there, you're standing there with that seed of mercy that's been sown in you that God says before the foundations of the world, and if you would just let Jesus Christ ransom it, redeem it, water it, make it grow, and the Holy Spirit would empower it, boy, that would be fantastic. But right Right now, you're not. And no, you can't have the keys to the car. Anybody here? Anybody, anybody hear what I'm talking about? They said, dude, you had to preach me the whole sermon. No, I had to let you know exactly where I am. That my worth is not defined by your acceptance of me trusting you beyond the dimensions of your capacity. That my worth is found as a worshiper of Jesus Christ. And that same mercy that's in you is in me. And I thank God he's watering it and watching it grow. Okay, as an example, what? and he says, finally, as an example for those who would yet believe. What I am doing here becomes an example for others. Number two, my perseverance and, and patience sends a, and trust sends a message to others who may believe. Conclusion, this is just not about me. I got to admit, this entire message has been seen through the lens of some parents sitting across the table and saying thank you for allowing New Hope to become a place of mercy that anybody can come. And when they walk through the door, they feel as though there's something inside them that just might grow and just might flourish that has been planted there by God that the devil can never take away. He'll never take away mercy. He'll never take away mercy. Can't do that. It's always there. It's beating. And we cultivate it. And the application this year in terms of trust is we leap over the processes of God when we trust ahead, when we trust in advance of that seed bearing fruit. Where, where we just step right out of God's time and it will always end up in a bad place. So don't fear that. Don't allow your worth to be informed by them manipulating what trust is all about. Trust is about a seed of mercy sown in each of our souls that we're each responsible, helping to break through the surface of our life, grow, mature, and bear fruit. So, if the person is pushy about patience, beware. I'm going to say it again. If the person is pushy about patience, beware. Because all you got to do is look back at them and say, well, you should be by now. And say, wait, wait, wait. I need you to exhibit the patience I've extended to you because if I didn't have it, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. But I have. 
I'm extending that same patience that God has extended to me because I believe there's a seed of mercy in you that's dying to get through the surface of your life. Stupid. Add stupid if you want. That was, I, I'm like Paul now. That was not the Lord. That was me. You don't, it doesn't say stupid. You're looking at me like, wow, do I really get to say that? No, no, no. You'll have to repent. Trust me, because I've done that too. If they're pushy, beware. All right, everybody stand up. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.